Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. So what's up with all these superstitions? They're obviously a part of human culture in every single culture. Well, let's take a look at a few of these and and where these things originated. I want to talk about three of them. Um, The first one is walking under a ladder. Why is that a thing? Why can't you walk under a ladder? It's bad luck. Years ago in ancient Egypt, a triangle leaning against a a wall kind of forms a triangle. And uh, the Egyptians regarded this shape as very sacred as exhibited by, you know, the the pyramids and, and a lot of the things that they made. To them, triangles represented like a trinity of gods, and to pass through that was to desecrate the gods. This belief, of course, was handed up through the ages, and centuries later, uh, followers of Christ kind of adopted this superstition, interpreting it in the light of Christ's death. Because a ladder was rested against the crucifix, it became a symbol of wickedness, betrayal, and death. Walking under a ladder courted misfortune. And in fact, in uh, England in the 1600s, criminals were forced to walk underneath a ladder on their way to the gallows. So you could see how that started and it kind of morphs and different cultures and different people kind of pick these things up and that's why they're here today. The second one is a horseshoe. I always wondered this one, uh, you know, what is lucky about a horseshoe? Um, so we did one unlucky, we'll do a lucky one. Well, the horseshoe is considered to be a good luck charm in a wide range of cultures. Belief in its magical powers traced back to the Greeks, who thought the element iron had the ability to ward off evil. Not only were horseshoes made of iron, but they also took the shape of the crescent moon. In the fourth century Greece, the crescent moon was a symbol of fertility and good fortune. The belief in its powers passed from the Greeks to the Romans and from there to the Christians. In fact, in the British Isles of the Middle Ages, when the fear of witchcraft was rampant, people attached horseshoes open and side up on their doors and on the sides of their houses. Apparently, people thought witches feared horses so much that this would remind them of a horse and they would stay away. The last one I want to talk about is the lucky or unlucky number 13, depending on who you are. But most of it, you know, there's skyscrapers in, you know, in big cities that don't even have a 13th floor. So what's the deal? It's actually a known fear. It's called tristadecophobia. I'm sure I butchered that, but there's an actual phobia of the, the number 13. It has its origins in Norse mythology. It's a well-known, uh, there's a well-known tale of 12 gods that were invited to dine in Valhalla, uh, the bank, a big, huge banquet wall in Asgard. And uh, so they got this banquet going on, and Loki, the god of strife or evil, or if you watch any of the Marvel series, he's the god of mischief, crashed the, he crashes the party, raising the number of attendees to 13. The other gods try to kick Loki out, and then a struggle ensued, and one of the favorite gods, Baldur, is killed in the ruckus. So the Scandinavian avoidance of the number 13 at dinner parties and the dislike of the number spread down the rest of the way through Europe. Again, it was reinforced in the Christian era by the story of the Last Supper, 
at which Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, was considered the 13th guest at the table. There are so many different superstitions and and the way that people feel. And and some people might even say they're not superstitious, just somewhat stitious. If you get that, you get that. But there's so many superstitions that people adhere to. Um, I can remember a time uh, playing Little League. We were the Indians, and uh, I think they were handing out with like Slurpees, little uh, MLB helmets, and we had an Indians helmet in our dugout, and someone got it like halfway through the season, and when we put it in our dugout, we didn't lose another game. Obviously had nothing to do with that, but you know, to a bunch of 12 and 13-year-olds, that was a big deal. But it's interesting to see that a lot of these superstitions either derive from religious belief or they integrate into a a, a religious belief in a culture. Church, as Christians, we cannot give license or believe anything that's contrary to Scripture that boasts extra-biblical superpowers or any, any kind of power that's outside the Trinity. We also don't believe in stuff like luck. And uh, you'll you'll see why as as we go through this this morning. We also don't believe in things like karma. Now, this is something very important because if we really, truly believed in karma, we're sinners against the holy God, and karma says what? We deserve death. So we don't want to believe in karma because karma says you do good, you, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Okay, so as Christians, we know we're not good all the time, therefore we deserve death from a holy God. And we should absolutely never put our faith in anything that any kind of mystical power apart from God. Now, I'm not saying that everything's like evil and you know it's and, and, and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not taking a legalistic approach, but we have to understand that there are dark forces out there. Things like uh, witchcraft, voodoo, Santeria, you know, all all these dark kind of forms, they do exist. Make no mistake, there's, there's a lot of demonic activity um, in these things. I'm not talking about, you know, little paper witches you might put up at Halloween or whatever that is. I'm talking about actual people who practice dark arts. Those things absolutely exist. Today we're going to find out in our text that it's funny how both superstition and false religion kind of come together to compete against the gospel. Um, And it's exactly why the title of today's sermon is Enemies of Salvation. Enemies of Salvation. There's things that, that come against the gospel message and can actually become an enemy of salvation itself. We'll be in uh, the book of John chapter 5 verses 1 through 17. You could follow along with me as I read on the screen or in your Bibles. We're going to... Talk about the healing at at Bethesda. Verse 1, after these things, there was a feast of, of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was inflicted. A man was there who had been ill, 
excuse me, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, he says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but when I am coming, another steps in before me. Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he said, but he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away, and he told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, if we take those 17 verses and we boil them down into one main idea, we would get this. Superstition and false religion are obstacles to salvation. Superstition and false religion are obstacles to salvation. We'll see today that this silly superstition that they were believing in and the false uh, religion, these man-made rules of the uh, Pharisees, may have in fact kept this man from believing and putting his faith into Jesus. Let's break these verses down to see why this main idea is true this morning. Going back to the first four verses. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the waters to move. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, before I go any further, I just want to say, you see those, that, I think it's the big, halfway through verse 3 and the end of verse 4 are in a bracket. Now, that's very important because it was not in the original manuscripts. What they did was they came back later as a side note to explain why they believed those people were there, which it, it, it tracks with what we're going to learn through the rest of, of those verses. So that's why in some translations, it doesn't have that. It's a side note. And in this translation that we're using, it's in those brackets because they're wanting you to understand what the superstition was. So anyways, Jesus took a break from his Galilean uh, ministry to go up to Jerusalem for a feast. We're not really sure what feast it was. He, he doesn't um, really talk about that. But John begins to describe this place called Bethesda. It's, it's, it's a Greek translation uh, term as the house of outpouring or the house of mercy. It was a place where this certain superstition was. Apparently, hordes of sick and lame people would hang out and they would wait for the, uh, the stirring up of this, Lord, uh, this water, supposedly by an angel of the Lord. Okay? This wasn't true. 
It was a superstition, and it's a great example of Jewish cultural superstition, not biblical Judaism. So don't get that twisted. This was exactly why they were adding that side note. They wanted you to know this isn't a part of Judaism. We don't believe that the angel of the Lord went in and stirred up these waters. It was just a silly superstition. And this, this pool, you know, may have had some kind of healing process. Like, first of all, if you know anything about freshwater springs, they could bubble up sometimes. And they do kind of make, you know, uh, a little bit of a wake and, and, and a little bit of a, you know, movement in the pool. But through some research, you know, we find out that this could have been like a warm mineral spring. You know, if you had a, a, like a, a skin condition or if you had something like that, soaking in this water would have helped you. So I, that's probably why some of this superstition kind of got started. Um, and also a little cool side note when talking about the porticos, um, which I think it's important to point out. See, this is actually proof that the Gospel of John was written and in circulation before 70 AD, because the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. So this, the reason why that's important, because this means that historically, people were still alive that would have seen Jesus walk the earth as this book was in circulation. The reason why that's so important is because those that oppose to uh, the interpretation and, and, and the validity of this scripture They'll say, oh, John was written hundreds of years after the fact. That's why we know things were changed. This is a good indication that it was written well before, you know, 70 AD. So we have a, an early timeline for the book. Just a little apologetic note to throw in there. Anyways, this is where we get into our story with Jesus and the lame man. I want us to look at, uh, watch for three things. We'll see Jesus' compassion on this lame man to heal him. We'll see the man's reaction and then we'll see the reaction of the religious leaders around him. Going back to verses uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. We don't know how old he was, but they, we, he said he was ill, crippled, and this illness crippled him for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in this, uh, a long time in this condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus immediately says, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. So Jesus sees this man. He knows he's been in this condition a long time, and he asks him this kind of strange question in verse 6. Do you want to get well? I thought that was kind of a strange question because, I mean, it seems like he does. But Jesus was getting straight to the point because these silly waters are never going to heal you. So Jesus is like, he, he, he doesn't even want to hear that. And this man's not getting it. And he comes up with some lame excuse, no pun intended, that it's never worked for him because when the water stirs, he just can't get in in time. And that's why the waters aren't working to heal him. Now, we, know, we don't know every single thing that Jesus and this man discussed, but it's, 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 it's like in verse 8, Jesus is like, enough. Just pick up your pallet and walk. Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And there's a really, really good reason for why Jesus does this, and that brings us to our first point this morning. Faith in superstition can rob you of the true power of Christ. 
Faith in superstition can rob you of the true power of Christ. This guy was just going to sit there and do nothing like he had been for probably years by this, these waters, blaming it on the fact that he just can't get in in time. He had the, 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 the great physician, the great healer standing before him asking if he wants to get well, and he would rather put his faith in the silliness of this idea that this water's going to somehow magically heal him. We as, that's why we as Christians, we cannot give license to any of this mystical nonsense. Things like horoscopes, tarot cards, praying to spirits or ghosts, it's all meant to lead us away from the truth and the gospel. That's literally the intent by the enemy. It's seductive. It gives us hope where there is no hope. I don't know why anybody would fall for the fact that we need anything more than Jesus. As believers, we know there's really nothing that this world can offer us, any mystical power can offer us, that's going to be greater than Jesus. And when we focus on that junk, even for fun, as I said before, be careful because we might really be messing with some demonic stuff. And even if it's not that demonic, if, if you're looking outside that, you're claiming that anything else is as powerful as Jesus. And it reminds us of our main idea. Superstition and false religion are obstacles to salvation. So as we get to our next part, verse 9, Jesus proclaims this man, stop, stop the nonsense. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. And now it was the Sabbath day, okay? We see this man immediately walks, he picks up his bed, his bed uh, and at this point, we really don't know if it was this man's faith in Jesus that healed him or just the simple fact that Jesus proclaimed this man to be healed. But we'll get our answer a little bit later. So he's healed. He begins walking with his pallet or his bed. But it's on the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 10. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. And it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. So the religious leaders see this man who was crippled walking with his bed. Why don't you really think about this this morning? This man who was crippled is now up walking, carrying his bed, and all they could think about is, you can't do that on the Sabbath. Not, wow, look at this crippled guy. He's walking and carrying his bed. They're like, this guy is breaking one of our rules. And really, if you want to know, they weren't so mad about anything else other than the fact that this was a great feast or a festival, that, you know, this area was, was flooded with people from everywhere, and it made the Pharisees look bad. That's literally all they were caring about at that point. It was illegal to do normal work on the Sabbath. That was one of the, one of the, the rules in the law. 
Apparently, this included carrying your bed. He immediately, in verse 11, he immediately blames the guy when they're asking him, you know, why are you doing this? You can't do this. He immediately blames the guy that healed him. He immediately chucks Jesus under the bus, doesn't he? He's like, oh, no, no, it wasn't me. I didn't want to do this. This guy who healed me, he said, oh, you have to do this. However, Jesus slipped away. So he wasn't there in that moment. I mean, and we see from the Old Testament, it is true, someone working on the Sabbath could receive the death penalty. I mean, breaking the Sabbath law was, was a big deal. It, it wasn't something that we should take lightly. But apparently, these religious leaders let this guy go in search of this healing guy. But I'll let you guys in on a little secret. They knew it was Jesus. They just wanted to get into a certain situation where they could call Jesus out. That they had something that they could call Jesus out in public because they didn't like Jesus very much. In fact, they hated him. Again, could you imagine that you're so religious, you're so religious that you turn a crippled being healed into an offense punishable by death? However, the story doesn't end there. Picking up in verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So Jesus seeks this man out later in the temple, and it's, it's for a really good reason. This was, again, by no accident. And remember, we were just saying before, we weren't quite sure if it was this man's faith that why he was healed. Like, like we see most of the other times in the gospel, it's by your faith you're healed. This other person, this other woman had so much faith, she just touched Jesus' cloak and was healed. It was by their faith in who Jesus was why they were healed. Well, we're going to get our answer in our, in, our, in our final verses. Jesus, in verse 14, going back, Jesus finds this man, and, and he's healed, and, and he tells him not to sin anymore, or something worse can happen. What exactly does he mean by that? Well, it seems that his sin could have caused his ailment. Again, unlike what we see in the rest of the Gospels, you know, where the disciples asked Jesus, you know, who sinned, this man or you know, him or his father? And he's like, no, he was born that way to show the glory of God. But here Jesus says, he kind of alludes to the fact that it, this man's sin could have had something to do with his ailment. And we really don't know what his ailment was. Like we said before, it just for 38 years, it, it, it rendered him crippled and not really able to walk. So Jesus tells him, now listen, stop sinning. So that means that he probably didn't have faith in Christ. He didn't, you know, come to Jesus for forgiveness. He's just enjoying his newfound freedom, and Jesus finds him at the temple. Jesus tells him, stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. Maybe he was just alluding to something worse could happen to you, dot, 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 as bad as hell. That would be way worse than being crippled for 38 years. Amen. So we don't really know his response to that, but in verse 15, the man went away and informed the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So he walks from Jesus in his temple right over to the officials and goes, there's your guy. I'm on your side. 
he made me break the Sabbath. No, go let him have it. And uh, it, it, it's really amazing to see that God doesn't need our permission to do stuff that he wants to accomplish. Even if this gentleman didn't have faith in in Christ in this moment, Jesus was still going to use him for his greater purpose. So we could see it wasn't his faith in Jesus that healed him. It was the declaration of an almighty God, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So why did Jesus do this? What is the point of this this morning? Jesus was making a point. This was the pivotal point when we're reading in the Gospels when the Jews really began to plot against Jesus to kill him. So it must have been his father's timing. It must have been his father's timing for him to start pushing and start getting to that point where they were going to have nothing else to do but to have Jesus killed. Why? So that he could die for the sin in the world. In verse 17, if we go ahead, in verse 17, Jesus puts the icing on the cake because they're, they're still in the temple. They're still handing it to him. It says they're persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And what does he say? My father, you know, my father, the God you guys claim to worship, is working until now, and I myself am working. That was complete blasphemy in the face of these religious leaders. It was no longer about doing stuff on the Sabbath is what I'm saying. He just made himself equal to God. So from right there and on, they're like, we have to kill this guy. We have no other choice. He's going to blaspheme God in the temple in front of everybody. And that's when they started to really plot Jesus' death. And it brings us to our second point. False religion brings death, but faith in Jesus brings life. False religion brings death, but faith in Jesus brings life. It was the false piety and and religious man-made rules of these Jews that was complete hypocrisy. It was not what true Judaism, much like that superstition, was supposed to be. These were way outside the boundaries. These Jewish leaders were snakes. At some point, Jesus calls them sons of hell. He, he wasn't playing. He's like, the, you, you're not representatives of the, the Father. You're sons of hell. I believe that Jesus today would have the same words for many in churches today who twist and pervert the truth of the gospel for their own gain. As we close today and I call Joe up, I want us to focus on these, these two things this superstition and and false religion that are enemies to salvation. Think about it. There are more people today than ever that believe in things like karma, witchcraft, special powers, people that can see the future, but they don't believe in God. It's kind of strange to me. All these other mystical powers are cool and okay, but if you just believe in Jesus, that's weird. In fact, Uh, I was reading uh, in the news this week. Um, Some of you may know her, may not know her. It's someone that's kind of famous. She's a tattoo artist, and her name is Kat Von D. She was made kind of famous by the TV series LA Inc., and she runs a tattoo uh, studio. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because she just recently got saved and was baptized, I think this week or, or a week or two ago. 
And it came out in the news that when she came home one day, she had this overwhelming concern about the things that were in her house because she was into stuff like witchcraft and and all these, you know, just the, all the things that go along with it, altars and, and idols and stuff like that. And, and she came out and she said, I just want you guys to know, she came out through social media and said, I've cleansed my whole house of all of that stuff. That is nothing that a child of God should have in their house. And she even kind of tried to soften it a little. And she said, you know, if that's something you're into, I'm, I'm not downing you. I'm just telling you that I belong to Jesus now. And she cleansed her house of that stuff. Good for her. But I'm bringing this up because it's very prominent in our culture today. We might not understand. And there's also plenty of false prophets and false teachers out there that are twisting the gospel for their gain. They pervert the truth of the gospel, just like those Jewish leaders were doing back in the day of of Jesus. It's a wonder that anybody could be saved these days. Amen. Good thing we have a Savior that seeks us and saves us. But think about these things as we are reminded of our points this morning. The first one was faith in superstition can rob you of the true power of Christ. Let me ask you, church, what if God's trying to do something either in your life or through you right now, but you're focused on this other nonsense? Somehow that's got you pulled in that direction. Now, just like in the, you know, the the crippled guy in in that case, um, doesn't mean God can't do something through you because he's going to do what he wants to do. But it didn't seem to end up so well for the crippled guy because unless he, be- he repented and believed and put his faith in Christ, he's now with the sons of hell. Don't get sidetracked by anything this world has to offer you in place of your faith in, in Jesus. It's a trick. It's a cheap parlor trick. And of course, I'm not, I'm not talking about, and it's so sad that I have to say this, I'm not talking about like um, modern medicine because there are some people that take that a little too far and they're like, well, you know, I'm not going to go get medical treatment because my faith. No, God gave us the knowledge and he gave us some really gifted people and he gifted those people to help us. What I'm talking about is karma, going to psychics or any other power that claims to be able to take the place of God Almighty. But I believe our church, in our, in our culture, in our world today, doesn't struggle with that one. They struggle more with our second point this morning, which was false religion brings death, but faith in Jesus brings life. There are so many false religions out there today that are so easy to go, yeah, that's, that's false. But some of them are almost the truth. And it's, it's funny because true discernment isn't being able to tell a truth from a lie. It's being able to tell truth from an almost truth. That's true discernment, and that's something you only get from God. Just like these Jewish leaders back then. Listen, think about these people. They were just trying to follow the, the Jewish religious leaders. These were supposed to be God's guys. There's, they were supposed to be God's ambassadors to God's people, and they weren't. They took Judaism and they perverted it. Just much like people do these days when they spread a a false gospel. Those that use Jesus' name 
and his work on the cross to promote their agenda. Like they turn Jesus into some magic genie so that you can live your best life now. I had a, a great conversation with one of my newer customers at the paint store. And this guy I've known for a couple months and I, I realized he's a believer as well. And he said something to me that, that really hits hard when we're talking about this. He said, he said, Jared, the prosperity gospel kept me away from the truth of the gospel for many years because I was believing in this garbage that if I just wanted something bad enough and I prayed to God and I had enough faith, he would give it to me. He's like, when I realized that wasn't true, I was able to open up my heart to the truth of the gospel and I got saved. That is, that's what we're playing for today, folks. And then there's churches on the other side of that. They use scripture to, uh, to, to lord over people and to keep their thumb on people, to perform an impossible task. Listen, if we could live perfectly, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. We could just follow a bunch of rules. This is why it's so important for you, the church, to scour over God's word every day. So with the aid of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to fall for these false religious ideas or superstitions. That is why God has given us his word. All these other things lead to death and only Jesus brings life. Only Jesus can heal and save by his grace. There is no other way. As we remember our main idea this morning, superstition and false religion are obstacles to salvation. Let's pray. Dear Father, praise you that we can know your truth. Praise you that you sent your son to save us. Please help us to not fall for the lies of this world that tell us that there is any other power that can save us or any other religious belief that could take the place of your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.